podcast, we try to help you navigate faith in the modern world. And during the month of February, we're going to have some conversations about failure, including one today with our guy, Steve Carter. Let me tell you more about that in just a second. But first, let me tell you about one of my favorite events every year. It is Harbor, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. This year, May 3rd through 6th, on Pepperdine's beautiful campus, we're going to gather and have a great time talking about some very important things. Now, the people there, you're going to recognize some of them. Some of the people that we're going to be talking about know whether Jesus will be people like Sean Palmer, Richard Beck, Chris Seaman, Rick Ashley, Christine Kane, Kristen Cobez Dumay. Many of you know her from Jesus and John Wayne. So, uh, her and I had such a great time doing a podcast a couple months ago that uh, Mike Hope and our friends at Pepperine decided to bring her out. And so she and I are going to be doing two sessions together. There are plenty of other great speakers that are going to be there that you're going to be excited to hear, along with a great time just to get together with some good people. So uh, join me in Malibu. It is May 3rd through 6th. Uh, check the link in the show notes where you can get more information, but I hope to see you out there. Now, uh, let me tell you what we're doing uh, today on the podcast. First, I guess the story begins back in the fall. Uh, on a podcast, uh, there was a comment about people talking about their failure, and I sarcastically made a comment about, yeah, we could do fail February because obviously it's alliterative, and if it rhymes or it has alliteration, it must be true. And I kind of forgot about it. And so February rolls around, and I get a, a message, a DM on the old gram. And someone says, hey, are we doing fail February? And I completely forgot about it. But in that moment, that message kind of sparked something in me. That I thought, I love this idea of reaching out to some of my friends, sending out a message to say, hey, would you come on the podcast and just tell me one failure or maybe the, the failure that you're most grateful you experienced. And surprisingly, like I had friends who said they would do it. And the original idea is I would do one episode and have a couple of people talk for 10 or 15 minutes about a single failure. And uh, I recorded this first one with Steve and Steve was so honest and vulnerable and just really... Uh, just really transparent about some really terrible stuff that happened. Uh, if you don't know Steve Carter, he was the teaching pastor at Low Creek, uh, which is a somewhat, well, it was like at one point like the biggest church in the world uh, based in Chicago. Bill Hybels was the founding pastor. And uh, there was a substantial uh, scandal that came out involving his sexual impropriety. Uh, the story was like in the Chicago Tribune in the New York Times was the second story that came out. And Steve at the time was a teaching pastor. And when, when I texted him about this, uh, I, I wasn't saying, hey, talk about Willow, because honestly, I've uh, you know never tried to get him to talk about Willow when he's been on the podcast or anywhere, because it's just, you know, it's a, it's a messy thing, and, you know, I'm not really doing that whole, like, gotcha journalism kind of stuff, and, uh, but like he said, this is what he wanted to talk about, and, uh, like, I was super impressed with him, super impressed with the way that uh, he's learned and grown from uh, w- what he's going to call, like, one of his biggest failures, the way that... You know, he handled it, uh, handled that that tough situation, which I think um, if you put yourself in his situation, uh, not having all the information when you're up there talking, uh, it, it's just a tough situation. And um, but anyway, I, I really respect the way that he's owned up to it and he's not like putting the blame on anyone else, which is something that I would naturally find myself wanting to do. And uh, anyway, so uh, this is the first of the episodes. Actually, in uh, five minutes, I'm going to record another one with Suzanne Stabile, and we're going to do some more of these. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to package the ones in the future. Uh, Maybe I'll put out shorter episodes, or maybe I'll compile them into one. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do, but you're going to hear more about this concept because I really love the idea 
about failure as something that connects us. It seems that well, like when there's like success, we often like elevate someone, we put them on a pedestal, which means we're not on the pedestal, which means we're lower and we're separate from them. But somehow failure seems to bring us all together. And so we, we admire and we respect other people's successes, but I think we connect to others' failures. And I, I don't know if, for, if that's your experience, but that's definitely mine. And so I'm really grateful. Uh, you could hear Steve talking about this, and hopefully you can find something to connect to um, to his story with, with your story, because I think we've all failed in a plethora of ways. But um, yeah, Steve did a great job here. Anyway, uh, if you don't know Steve, check out his new book. It is called The Thing Beneath the Thing, which is a brilliant book. We don't talk about it on the podcast, but um, go get it. You should. It's a good one. And uh, without further ado, here's my guy, Steve Carter doing the thing nice uh, there we go there we go there we go uh, alright friends the man the myth the legend Steve Carter back on the podcast Thanks, Luke Steve. how are you man I'm good man it's good to see you it's great to see you yeah it is it's always good to see you my man it is good to see you, you we've know, never seen each other in in, in person it, so only, is, only yeah there have been moments like we've been sh- ships in the night like there's almost a time you're in Austin. Thanks a lot, COVID, and uh, that they canceled that just a few weeks ago. Um, I honestly that ruined my Christmas. I'm not saying it's your fault, but like I was like, kids, why do we need to celebrate the birth of Jesus right now? <laughs> I didn't get to see Steve Carter. You were you were one terminal away at an airport oh, that we happened right. to be at at the same time, yes. and we couldn't figure out how to get to one another. Yeah, to actually funny. meet face to face. We were, we were FaceTiming, and I was literally right behind a guy who was uh, a linebacker for the University of Notre Dame, and like this mountain of a man, and I was like, I'm going to have to fight this guy to get around him to get to Steve Carter, and I was like, I'm willing to take my chances of dying right here to get to you, but this just, just became a very strong bromance podcast, which I feel like we could keep doing this for another 30 minutes uh, if we needed to, and, and honestly, we might do that around Valentine's Day. But I've got this terrible question I'm going to ask you. Like, which, by the way, like I hated that I had to text like, "Hey, would you tell me about your biggest failure?" Um, but like, that's 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 fu- functionally what we're doing right here, uh, because I think I have this theory that I think other people's successes, like we like we honor them or like we glorify them or like we can celebrate, and sometimes we can become jealous of them. But I feel like th- they create distance. But I feel like our failures create connections. And so hopefully you're, you're not like, man, my friend looks such a jerk making me talk about this. But I feel like ultimately this is how we, we connect to one another. So, uh, you know, the question, you know, I'm going to ask you, uh, like, what is the biggest failure you've had in your life that you're most grateful for? Yeah. <clears throat> I, you know, as a three on the Enneagram, I try to live my life to never fail. Yeah. It's kind of like the surprise and failure are kind of my two biggest uh deep, deep fears. Surprise. Tell me about that. I think part of that was my uh, childhood um, Mm -hmm. because of just the the anger in our home. And if I couldn't read a situation properly, um, it had negative consequences. So there's moments where I I low grade anxiety comes when someone's like, Hey, can you just add this to the announcements? Or, Hey, can you just, uh, uh, can you, can you do this teaching? And I'm always like, I haven't had time to think about it. And those are the moments that I think the surprise will lead to failure, which will lead to, uh, someone actually going, Oh gosh, he's not that great. It just, uh-huh. it's just like a, a performance thing. And again, that's a lot of the healing work in this desert season has been, but I think the biggest failure for me, you know, takes you back to 2018 and, um, 
I'm in the, the throes of this succession. It had been announced and um, out of nowhere, these allegations come against my mentor, someone I deeply loved and still love. And um, I, uh, it was hard for me to like make sense of it all because the organization and the church that I was a part of is you know almost a third of a billion dollars in assets and there is preservation and organizational protection and personal brand preservation of this this mentor and what was being said was these are lies what is being said is that these are made up stories what was being said was um that people are colluding and trying to take down the church and and it's hard to be so close at the center and actually think objectively hmm. and um I didn't really know the names that were were being kind of uh, making allegations that that ended up to be true, but like I I didn't know this. And there was a family meeting the day after the the article came out in the paper in the Chicago Tribune. It was like six thousand five hundred words, which is like a long article for for a newspaper. And they, you know. We had, we had a Christian PR firm and we had a secular PR firm. And secular PR firm was like, you fight this, you fight this strong, do a meeting. And um, our lead pastor and ch- chair of the elder board was like, okay, great. So they, they had Bill Hybels, they had Pam Orr, who was the lead elder. They had Rob Campbell, who was like the, the lead elder when the allegations came like four years, five years earlier. They had Heather Larson, who was like the new lead pastor. All of them had known for four or five years about all of these allegations. The rest of us, like on this executive team, we're like finding stuff out. And then the day of, Bill comes up to me and says, hey, I think it'd mean the world if you were on that stage and just people love you, people trust you. Like it just, it just mean a lot to me and my family. And I told Bill, I don't know these stories. Like, I don't think that's really wise. Like, I don't know. And um, like, he just had like a little lip quiver and he just said, ah, it just, it, it would mean a lot. And I thought in the best intentions, I could go up there and just try and play like a both and narrative. Like, I think at the beginning I said, hey, these are people that I think the world of who, who shared their side of the story and I think if we've we've t- been teaching at this church, both and not either or, and why not have the chance to hear what Bill and these elders have to say, and and both and, and I like I thought like that's good, like I'm doing good so far, and then in that setting, things began to be said about those women, and about the people who brought up the concerns, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, Luke, but. Whenever you're on stage with somebody else <clears throat> and you have a mic, you can, you can obviously, I had all the agency in the world to say, you can't talk like that. I, I could have said that. Yeah. But you also know that there's a little bit when you're on stage and there's other people and maybe they're like out of tone or out of tune or their pitch is a little high or there's a little bit of energy. There's a little bit of like tips and hacks to try and bring them down. And one of the yeah. best ways is through humor. 
So what I ended up doing in that moment is I could see that Bill was angry. And what he was saying was not helpful to the overall conversation. And so what did I try and do? I, I tried to bring humor. Mm-hmm. And, I, and what I was trying to do was try to bring him back down to like get him to laugh and just like easy take cooter. A yeah. Take a breath. Yeah. Without saying that. What I did though was I minimized the women's stories with my jokes. What I did though was I created further confusion. And in the moment, I didn't fully understand it. And it wasn't until, because we did two of those family meetings, it wasn't until the second family meeting, like a day after, that I was like, why was I even on that stage? And I was just seeing people like, repost the YouTube video because someone sat in the front row and like videotaped it and I watched it and I I was just like mortified like what was I doing Hmm. why like why 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 did I do that and I think I was realizing gosh like my desire as a people pleaser like I wanted I wanted my desire to like try and get everyone to the table my desire to think like I could manage the situation, my desire to um, try and help the church. There's like good desires in there. My somewhat codependent desires was coming out. All of that created this cocktail that I was on the stage when I shouldn't have been. And I said things that I wish I never did. Mm -hmm. And I ended up having to go to each of the women and literally say, number one, I'm really sorry. I'm just sorry. Like I, I minimized your experience by my jokes. Uh, I'm sorry. Like I'm sorry that I was on that stage and I had good intentions, but it doesn't matter about my intentions. I, I didn't lead well. I didn't pastor well in that moment Mm. and I'm sorry. Um, and I, you know, and I have to like, I have to deal with that. I have to deal with the fact in that moment um, I didn't choose the harder right. There's this uh, cadet's prayer from West Point and it's like one of my favorite prayers. Uh, this is the 1920s. Like uh, all of these cadets had to memorize it. And part of the line is may we be committed to the harder right over the lesser wrong. Mm-hmm. And may we live above the common level of life. And it's just this whole thing that's based on character and integrity and, and nobility. Um, and honestly, like, I think for me, like, I chose, I chose to keep Bill happy in that moment rather than choose to do the harder right. Yeah. I didn't want to let him down. And I didn't want to let some of his family down. And I was afraid that by me not taking a stand and choosing the harder right in that moment, what it might communicate to him about my support. And so I thought I could just manage it. Hmm. And I was weak in that moment. And yeah. I like, and I had to own that. So, um, and it's, it, it's something that there are moments in my life where I've had a couple of these like, man, 
and they're great learning lessons. You, 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 I can look back and I go, man, that's, that, was a, that was a lesson. And then if you fast forward, you fast forward five months, I'm put in the same situation. And I can go on stage and pretend like nothing's happened or I can choose the harder right. And, and, and I think August 5th was a redemption moment for March 23rd. And August 5th is when I, I ended up resigning from, from the church. But like, I don't think I do August 5th without failing March 23rd hmm. or whenever that happened. So that's, that's um, I don't know. That's, is that the thankful piece? Like that's what I'm most grateful for about it is because that April date doesn't, ha- or the August date doesn't happen without it? Yeah, I don't know if it does. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's, that is, it's part of that, that, and maybe it's because of the athlete in me of the watching game tape and making adjustments. You know what I mean? Like, I think I could go back and I saw that video and was like, oh, I'm not doing that again. I like, you can never do that again. And without that moment, I might've, August 5th might've been the first moment that I did that. And then I, you know, three yeah. months later, might have been thankful for what I learned on August fifth. But like, um, for me, it's just yeah. Looking back, going, that was a huge part of it. This was a chance to almost redeem that that March family meeting debacle. Yeah. Sometimes, unless we experience loss, then you don't know how to do the right thing going forward because you don't feel it. It's hard to borrow the pain from the future. For me, at least, like I. I can experience the pain of the past and that can motivate me in the future uh, because I, I already experienced the pain, but just to like borrow, oh, this would be really bad if I did this. It's hard for me to imagine that. So I've got to sometimes experience the loss before I can figure out how to do the right thing. And I can imagine how painful that August date was. I, I, I didn't know you back. I, I knew you were back then, but I think if I'm right, Annie Downs was there that Sunday. And I remember getting, like, getting a text from, from her uh, about what was happening. I was like, oh my goodness, that is... That is, oh, unbelievable. Uh, one, like I'm thinking just for Annie of like her being in that moment, but now thinking about like from your perspective of, of, of how rough that was, weren't were there like people like in the audience who were going, oh no, we, we love you, you can't do this. Wasn't there something like that on the audio from that service? Like where people um, could hear, I felt like I remember hearing something or watching a tape or something and that came out. I'm not, sh- I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, so like Saturday night, we had Saturday night service mm-hmm. and I interview Ira Glass from yeah, yeah, yeah. This okay. American Life. Yes. Annie, then I set up Annie F. Downs. Annie talks on being brave. Mm-hmm. 5 a.m. the next morning, August 5th, all these, um, I started getting texts from the East Coast because a New York Times article had dropped about um, a woman who was Bill's former assistant who... She lived with them and things, you know, she, yeah. she, she begins to talk about her experience and her bravery in that story. And I was like, this is the New York times. Like this, 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 and people who were like quoted in it, Don Cousins was quoted, like Bill's even quoted. That's like the first time we had heard from him. He's being quoted in this. I mean, it's just like, it was, um, there's a lot of layers to it. And so we had a team meeting with the executive team and campus pastors. And I was like, we have to talk about this. And people didn't want to talk about it. And so Annie, I just walked up to Annie and I just said, Hey, I'm so sorry. It'll make sense later. I I can't go on stage. And I also thought for Ira Glass, who wasn't, wasn't a believer. Like what, what, what am, what am I going to say to him? 
And Ira and I started texting. We talked later and, and he was like, no, I respect you. Like, I, I think you did the right thing, you know, which was helpful. But I, at the same time, I had to like give my notes to a worship pastor and, um, and I was like, I'm not feeling well. And I couldn't go into all of what I was experiencing because I didn't want him to know everything, yeah, but yeah. I put him in a really difficult situation, which I had to go back and apologize um, to. But um, deep down, like uh, I always say, hey, if Annie would have talked about joy, it might not have happened too, but she talked about <laughs> being brave, like yep. do, the, do the brave thing, you know? And yep. I was like, crap, this is the brave thing. So, hmm. so that was, did we say five years ago? Something like that? 2018. It'll be four years in August. Okay, four years in August. And you feel like the first time you didn't do the hard right thing, that time you've done that. Have you gone back to that, um, like that lesson over the, the past four years and gone, okay, I've got to do the hard right thing, even if in the moment it's easier to create like a sense of levity and try to do both and and try to, you know, keep the peace? Like, has that stayed with you? It really has, you know, and I think part of that is, you know, this is. Bible story, but like nobody just one day decides to fight Goliath. You know, I think one of the most beautiful things is when David says, well, I fought a bear. Uh, You know, I fought a lion when I was a shepherd. I fought a packer. I fought a Viking. Like, you know what I mean? Like he just, he's basically like, when nobody's looking, I, this is who I fought. killed in the Midwest, by the way. Oh, bro. You you don't get that. That's a great joke in the Midwest. It took me a second to get that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but like, like <laughs> uh, fought a cowboy. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, NFC yeah. News for me. They didn't ever fight back. But um, but I uh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. that hurts. Dude, that, hurts. that hurts. But uh, but I would say David does this. Nobody's looking. It's it's those mm-hmm. things that nobody's looking that he has no idea what that's preparing him for. Mm-hmm. He's just doing the harder right. And I think honestly. That has been super helpful for me because I'm going to learn this lesson. Will I choose to learn it now and it prepares me for the next level? Or am I just going to try and run away from it? And I think for a lot of of my life, I just tried to run towards the easiest thing or where I could get the most success or the most like approval. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it was just realizing like, oh man... Um, you can't bypass the desert. You can't bypass character school. You can't bypass moments of not choosing the hard to write. And yeah. I think the times that I have chosen that, um, I'm not saying they're easy and I'm not saying that people don't, that everyone understands why you do, or if people even agree with you choosing that way. But I will say like from a core conviction side, like that internal fortitude I think it talks about in Thessalonians, like um, that steely conviction, like that, 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 that inside me is so much different than it was a decade ago. Hmm. We, uh, we were talking about this beforehand. I appreciate you telling me what you were going to mention. And uh, before you said, it, I was like, when I was thinking of my own answer to this question, like what, what failure am I most thankful for? One of the ones I was going back to is what I told you. I was like, when I was 24, you know, there's a situation where, uh, you know, long story short, this this story is not nearly as public as yours, so I don't want to get all the details because it hasn't been in a newspaper or anything. But, like, I made a decision to side with someone who was, like, metaphorically, like, the smaller person in the room. And 
uh, in the moment, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was like, oh, I'm trying to alleviate like tension and trying to, you know, best of both both sides. And uh, like years later, I realized, man, I, I, I screwed up on that one because it was easier for me to side with this person who had more influence and power. And uh, I, I don't forget that one. Like that one just kind of stings with me. Like it just kind of weighs over me. And, and I never had a moment where I could go and like talk to this person because I didn't realize what I did wrong until like years after the fact and they were never around um, how much of like that ability to have resolution and like having a conversation with like the actual people who are most offended by this, like how much did that help you? It's helped me a lot, you know what I mean? Because I think, I think in, in my context, like you had the women who had been victimized and abused and had things that had been said to them that were unfairly to apologize to them and to be forgiven by them. That felt great. That was great. But I also had a congregation who didn't know every part of the story, the intricate details like the women or those that were closest to the center. So they just saw me on August 5th leave. And so for many of them, I got to sit down, whether over Zoom or in one-on-one conversations. And I, I mean, I remember talking to my buddy Greg and just said, hey man, I'm sorry because I know the way that I left probably made a very awkward dinner time conversation with you and your kids because your kids liked me. Your kids were wondering like, why, why, why did he go? So that puts you in a situation that you're going, I don't even know why he left. I don't know all the answers. And that's, I'm sorry that I didn't set you up well. Hmm. And, and then he, you know, he said like, I just wish you would have done it from the stage. And I'm like, but just know this moment. If I would have done that from the stage, I, I, I would have wrecked the service it wouldn't have been able to go out to all the campuses. Not everybody would have heard it. And, and then he was like, oh, that makes sense. So I was trying the best way to not disrupt the service and to make sure that everybody had the chance to hear it at the same time. So there was what I think was helpful was getting to hear people's frustration and then also for them to get a, a little better sense of what my thinking was. And then I had to go and apologize to some of the staff, some of the staff who you know, they're, they're getting ready for the summit. And then all of a sudden, like, there's a tweet that comes out. Steve's gone. They're like, what? That sucks. And I, I put them in a tough situation. And you know, what's crazy. Luke is like, there's, what do you do as a three when you want to win? You want to do the right thing, but there's, there's no actual ultimate win. Any decision you make, you, you can choose to win for your integrity, but hurt people mm-hmm. because you left. And I think, I think what I had to realize was what ended up happening is a couple people who were, had the most power in this story to repent or to own or to name what they had done, didn't. So then it got just, it started getting dropped down to the next level, to the next level, to the next level. And it came to me. And, oh, wow. and I, think that's, I think that's one of the hardest parts is, is when we don't do that harder right in that moment. That could be in a conversation of just me saying I'm sorry to my wife or the harder right of me going to reconcile with someone that I've wronged or the harder right of fighting for a friendship. Well, that puts it on the other person then to have to do the work. Or, the, or my kids to have to do the work. Or coworkers yeah. to have to do the work. And that's, that's, I think, part of what we would just name as collateral damage. So I think part of it was, yeah, it sucked. 
and I should have never been in that place. Yeah. And I was, and there's collateral damage. I don't know if that makes sense. And I hope I, it doesn't seem like I'm trying to scapegoat. I messed up. Like I, I, I messed up. And I wish that there were ways, I wish I wasn't in that situation too. I think both can be true. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that makes sense to me. You know, Roar's line, which I really love a lot, is if you don't transform your pain, you'll transmit it. Transfer it, yeah. And it's just like, it's like the story from the, the Jewish text about, what is it, Achan, who, like, you know, he, he does something wrong, but there's collateral damage of people all around it. And I think that's what, like, generational sin looks like, or the consequences. Not that, like, God's punishing people, but, like, there are things that get, get passed down. And, like, my grandma uh, was raised in an orphanage in which her parents or dad lived in the same town. And so, like, there's collateral damage from that, that that passes down. And I'm not saying, like, my grandma did something wrong or whatever, but, like, there are consequences of, of things that are just not fair. And it's messy and it gets all, all around you. And I, like, keep on going. Like, if you ask a bad question, almost inevitably you're going to get a bad answer, right? Like, if you ask the question of, like, you know, which kid do you love the most? Like, that's a bad question and you're going to get a bad answer. There's no right way to answer that. And sometimes when you get placed in a bad situation, like, there's, like, there's no way to win, like you're saying, and yeah, that's that's tough, and that's part of like sometimes just being a leader is that like you are just in a situation where you're you're not trying to win as much as you're just trying to like not to to lose as quick as you can. Like if you're going to lose, like you don't want to prolong it, and in the same way, like you don't want to prolong like the consequences and make things worse. And sometimes I find myself like instead of just accepting a loss, like I just make it worse and worse and worse because I don't just take the small loss. I make it a huge loss because I think I can turn it around. And yeah, that's dude. That's two, two points of that. I think that's so, so profound that just triggers like two good reminders. One for me was my counselor. He just told me, he said, Steve, there's no ultimate win in this. You've just got to trust the spirit's voice and follow Mm -hmm. that. So that was helpful for me. That was helpful. That was between my family meeting fail and the August 5th decision. The second, the second piece that I think is really, really interesting with like what you said is part of like not accepting that early L, that early loss, Mm -hmm. I think began to, to help me realize like, oh my goodness, like this is where like my codependency comes out. Or this is where some unhealthy patterns, like, I can turn it around. I can get everyone to the table. I can do, I can. And a healthy, centered, grounded me would be like, this isn't my problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really sorry that you're having to walk through this. Like, yeah. I, gotta, I don't have to be the one who's the fixer here. Yeah. Like, I, let me be the pastor. Like, I, I, like I, no, I, I could have known my place in that better. Um, and I think that's that's the interesting part of how quickly I could leave that centered space, and even just seeing even in the moments of when I have to like retell the story or or remember my failure, how quickly it is for me to not look at it and from gratitude at times. Now that you know, sometimes I can, but sometimes I I can look back at it with shame, and mm. all of a sudden, then it's like more temptation comes my way or I just want to then numb out from there. Yeah. And you know, it's, just, it's, it's this really weird, like cyclical, you know, that brings you right back to that roar quote. So 
long story, but that's that's kind of the stuff I've been processing through. Can I ask one more? I, I told of you course. this to be like fifteen minutes, but like there's so much here that I I'm, I feel like I'm oversharing, and you're no, like, no, no, Bro, you're I'm trying good. to wrap this thing up, and you keep talking, no, you preacher. Well, you, yeah. okay, you, you say stuff. And I'm like, I got I got follow up questions. Uh, I, I'm going to get to basketball at some point um, to be nice to you, but uh, first you talk about like going back and uh, like viewing it through shame. I mean. Would it be fair, like, or would it be okay, like, to express more about what that looks like when you look at it through shame? Yeah. Um, you can pass on the question if you want. No, 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 no. Um, funny that your response was is like so tied with um, a story. So, in my senior year of high school, it's the last. Um, it's my last high school basketball game, and uh, we're in. We're in our first overtime. It's tied game, bro. I'm having the game of my life. Like, it's insane. What's your stat line? Um, you know it. Um, <laughs> I, fit, I finished with a quadruple double. Okay. So, like, I was LA right. Times player of the week. So, so it was, like, okay. bonkers. Like, 44, like, 13, 12, 11. 11 steals. So it was, like, bonkers. Anyways, my coach is, like, shoot the ball. Green light. Let's win this. Let's go to state. I'm, like, okay. So I get the ball, like, eight or nine seconds left. Da, 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 da. Like, start dribbling through. I get to the three-point line. And I can see I got it like I got away to the to the to the rim. But out of the corner of my eye, I hear and I see my friend's dad yell, Pass it to Justin. Is Justin his kid? Yeah. And I do. I pass it to him at the baseline and he misses a shot. As I walk to the 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 sidelines, my coach comes up to me and he's like, That was your shot. That was your shot. Why didn't you shoot it? And I was like, Justin's dad. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Oh, wow. So I'd say from 17, because I graduated as a 17-year-old, from a 17-year-old to probably like 37, on the regular, once every six weeks, I'd wake up hot sweats in the middle of the night, like, just like, when it gets really t- difficult, you'll pass. You'll pass. You'll pass. And I have like two moments, like one um, abuse story and one um, this basketball story that just triggers me from time to time. What was so hard was that was a moment when I look back in shame was I passed off from doing the harder right. Um, and, and, and so, and then when I left, I had told that story to the church People were writing me. Once again, you pat. It gets emotional. You passed off from their vantage point from doing the harder right, and you're a coward. So you have these moments where it's like, for some people, I passed. For me, I didn't. In that moment, some people are like, "Dude, you stood up and you were with us," and I feel like I passed. So it's this weird, like, depending on what side and how much you know. Um, but now what I know, I can look back and I just hate that people are hurt. I think it's the pastoral side of me. I just hate that, that there's still so much collateral damage. And I think the shame is I couldn't fix it. I couldn't, I couldn't somehow get everybody to the table. I couldn't, couldn't do it. Which then once I look at it like long enough, I go, of course not. Of course not. But for a moment, it's like, yeah, a great leader would have been able to do that. Wow, great, you know. And so, um, so it's 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 kind of like this bizarro like spiral 
piece that depending on the day, depending on the, the previous conversations or <clears throat> something that's happened around me, sometimes it's like, you know, it's like the diamond. You just, you kind of turn it and another form of insight yeah, yeah. or shame or reveal comes that you go, oh yeah. And it's just that process of, you know, as Brene Brown, you know, talks about shame thrives on secrecy, silence, and judgment. It's just recognizing like, ah, I'm not going to be secretive about that or silent about that or allow judgment. I'm going to release that, but I'm also not going to choose an unhealthy escape because I did Mm -hmm. that. I did that early on and I'm not, I, I just can't, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. Well, um, the fact that they used your vulnerable story about your 17 year old self or whatever doing that, uh, causes in me a desire to inflict bodily harm upon them. Uh, so if you have the names and addresses, I will buy a plane ticket to Chicago and uh, bring some of my friends and we'll take care of that. Because I feel like that is the worst thing to do is to take someone's vulnerability and use them against them later. But at least they were paying attention to the sermon, so I guess that is beneficial. Uh, I'm pretty mad about that. Um, can, I tell you, can I tell you just how broken? address? Yeah. Wait, well, no. <laughs> so for the longest time, I had printed out all of them. Bro, and I just, I would like, okay, okay, okay. Oh. Like, this is what you think. Okay. Okay. And like, and that, which is not good, but I think um, I was raised on Jordan to channel all that the anger. anger. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know, it was the only way I knew what to do. And there was just a moment like in the desert where I was like, no, I just got to burn this stuff. I got to burn, I got to burn all of this. But for... A good two and a half years after I left, I, dude, I, I could I could tell you the email addresses. I could tell you exactly what they said. I could I could, I could tell you the names, and it was like, and and um, yeah, it just and that was like a part of like. What's interesting though is I could control that. That I, I couldn't control a lot, but I could control that. That piece of holding it and. Wow. Um, I felt more comfortable in that space. That was more of a homeostasis, familiar position for me than actually walking in not shame or walking yeah, yeah. in release. So, well, um, uh, James Baldwin, it's what my listeners have heard me say multiple times, uh, says, um, uh, you know, we hold on to anger because once we let it go, we'll have to deal with hurt. And like for me, like I would rather be angry than like, scared or alone or disappointed yeah. so i can control my anger instead of dealing with wow i'm i'm really hurt yeah. and that's yeah that's that's tough does this affect your uh your future in church work of like man this is what happened to me on by these people and these email addresses sent these messages to me and do i want to still like be a part of church if this is how people can treat me when I feel like I did the hard right thing. Yeah. I, okay. So <clears throat> this is the other side of it though, right? Cause you, you just keep turning it and looking at it. The people had my email address. They didn't have everybody else's email addresses. So they could, they could say this stuff to me. And it was my counselor who said this. He said, you were safe enough for them to bring their anger. So now yeah. I had to translate their pain and their anger. And early on, I translated it as shame and frustration and angst. 
And then I translated it as they trusted me that they could show up and say what they wanted to say via, you know, yeah. DM or an email because they didn't know where else they could place it. Wow. I'm not saying this is the right. And I'm not saying that's even like they made the right decision. I'm just saying that was really helpful for me to go. They're hurt. And you were safe enough for them to bring that. And they could say that to you. Wow. That's, that's now, so good. I don't know if that's fully true, but that's how I chose to see it, you know, but from this counselor. And I was like, that, that just gave me a way more empathetic response, more grace um, than, than receiving of shame. Wow. So, One of the lines from uh, early in the podcast that I've held on to was from Shane Hips, who I assume you probably know. Shane. Yeah, I love Shane. He said... Uh, Preachers are screens upon which people can project whatever they want. Something to that extent, like preachers are screens. And in that moment, like you were a, a screen that they trusted enough, you're close, close enough to them uh, where they could project the hurt onto you. Now, I'm not saying that like there isn't culpability or whatever like that, but there is definitely like a way to read that where you go, okay, this isn't, this isn't uh, about me. Uh, though obviously you're taking plenty of ownership and you're taking personal responsibility and all that stuff, but like there also is a degree in which everyone can't be right because some people think you're a hero and some people think you're a villain. So that reminds you that like there's this isn't all about you. But right. um, I'm glad you had that therapist helping you interpret that stuff. Yeah, and and I think the other side is then some of those people have come back and was like, I should have never said those words to you, and oh. I'm sorry. So mm-hmm. like those are those are really really beautiful moments, and that's what's cool is like those are some of the friendships that like in Chicago land that mean the most to me now mm-hmm. because they're people who could be honest with their sadness, their shame, their pain, their anger, and also go, I can say, I'm sorry. And we could, mm-hmm. we could, there was like a full like sense of truth, repentance, reconciliation. So there's, there's, there's again, all these bizarro layers and levels to it. And then there's a lot that's still just, hanging um, in limbo and some of it's in process and some of it may never happen. Um, but I believe a lot of it will come back mm. around. And I, I do believe that, you know, as my friend Joby Martin says, if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. And uh, you know, I love right now, like your y'all's family's journey is like heading back to Chicago land in the Midwest. And hopefully, you know, there's some, you know, resolution and, you know, new life that is born out of like four years ago, you left in a like darkness. And now there's, you know, hopefully some new life that, that pops up out of that. So I'm celebrating with y'all and, uh, you're, you're a good sport, man. Uh, I said, tell me about like your biggest failure and it's only gonna be 15 minutes. And, uh, this is 38 minutes later. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) bro, just Edit whatever you need to make it down to fifteen minutes. Uh, no, I know, think but, uh, yeah. I was gonna like I was gonna put like three of them together, turn an episode. I was like, a- as we're talking, like how do you like minimize someone's like failure just to fifteen minutes because there's so many layers to it. So, uh, no, this has been great. I really uh, appreciate you doing that. And uh, like when you talk about failure, we got to remember that there is a thing beneath the thing, as one of my favorite books right here would tell us. Look at that. Oh, I didn't even. Look at- this is your book, by the way. Uh, people can't see it. It's a podcast, not a video. But uh, that was your book was there the entire time. So, well, hold on one second. <laughs> uh, this is uh, this is when two friends are uh, very kind to each other, and he's got. I can play that game too. 
Yeah. Okay, that was impressive. You got the book too, so. I, yeah, it's funny. As I just did a giveaway on Crafting Characters podcast, mm-hmm. and I added your book into it just because <laughs> I'm like, he's going to be a guest on the Crafting Character podcast. I was like speaking it into existence. So, so I, one I day it'll happen. We, we're going to make this happen. Befriending one. your monsters. Yes, it's a great well, book. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes people talk about like friends, like they just like put each other up and like they put each other over and just like celebrate their stuff. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, but uh, Steve, seriously, thanks for thanks for doing this and uh, thanks for being so vulnerable. And um, yeah, I appreciate your witness and and uh, how to deal with this kind of stuff. So thanks, man. Awesome, bro. Appreciate you, man. Right on, dude.